Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Adam Nyman to discuss insurance. And before you think that gets boring, this is not boring at all. This is a concept called infinite banking that has been making the rounds. It goes by many different terms. It's basically using an insurance policy to borrow against it and then use the funds to do as you please. I hope I'm summarizing that as easily and quickly as possible. Basically, he put together a book. He sells insurance, by the way, but Adam put together a book called Fortune or fiction, why the be your own banker concept is flawed. And he kind of breaks down some of the behind the scenes data on how the returns are shared in some of these insurance policies. And we've never heard this before. So of course, in this book, the way he broke it down, it's a short book, I think it's 37 pages, but he covers in detail some of these concepts, um, we wanted to chat with them. So we thank Jesse Berger, who made the introduction. He came on this podcast and we quickly became aware that even after an hour of recording, we were only just getting into it. So we think we're gonna bring him back in a few months and then go through an actual example of an insurance policy and how some of the projected returns or some of the charts that you look at when you buy an insurance policy might not match up to actually what is happening. Some do, some don't. So there's a lot of information here. I'm sure some insurance people listening to this will not be pleased with Adam and us sharing this kind of stuff. But basically, we're just trying to get to the bottom of the situation. I, in full disclosure, and in full disclosure, Nick and I both own um, these types of policies. They're not... Um, they're not structured to borrow against really early on in the policies. The one, ones we have, you kind of have to own them for a few years, but uh, we do have these policies. So I just like to know what I own and I've always felt that insurance has been a missing component. I've just felt like I've been missing something and Adam has shared the, a little bit of light on this with us. And I think after this and after we bring him back, I just feel in a much better position to talk about insurance with people, to share the pros and cons. I mean, some of these um, products are just, uh, it's confusing and it's difficult to grasp. And I haven't spent enough time looking at my own policy, quite frankly. So this is just Nick and I diving into things and learning about things ourselves. So really thrilled that Adam took the time to first off write his book and then to come on the podcast and share some of this information. And like I mentioned, we will be bringing him back again to dive into an actual example of this so we can kind of break it down even further. Treat this one as just an introduction to this whole concept. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the wild and wacky and weird world of real estate investing, probably the one of the best places to start are some of the reports that we've put together on our website, specifically the population report or the destruction of the middle class report. In the destruction of the middle class report, we break down how assets are completely outpacing incomes in this country and the reasons why. In the population report, we share some data that makes up the fundamentals of why this particular area, and I'm talking about Southern Ontario, the greater uh, Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area, just has some of the best fundamentals we've ever seen from a supply and demand dynamic. So you can get either of those reports at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. And that's it with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. 
We are live with Adam Neiman. Nyman. Nyman. Everyone tells me I mess up last names. It's like this thing I do. Nyman. Nyman. Adam, tell us, um, how did you get here? Explain this to us. Who are you? What are you about? What are we about to talk about today? So basic, I'm really basic financial services guy, selling life insurance. I started out in the industry. You're a basic financial services guy? Yeah, I call it basic. I I want to keep things simple. I've made money being too complicated and I've lost a lot of money making things too complicated and I'm just trying to kind of settle into what I know and that happens as you get older and you're in and around business for an extended period of time but I um, after university I lived out west for a year didn't know what I wanted to do with my life skied in Whistler for a year taught skiing out there was great came home didn't know what I wanted to do had my resume online and I got contacted by a life insurance company and the advantage with them is that they provided leads through a union network and it was captive and they gave you 20 or 30 leads a week. And as long as you would drive to, you know, outside areas of the province, you would get more leads. It was hard to get leads in Toronto. I love this talk of leads. This is classic sales. (laughs) Yeah. And the goal was uh, four to five appointments a night. You booked your appointments on Sundays and in the mornings. Uh, But it was multi-level marketing style. So the idea was you needed to to build a team. That's really how you grew. You could only make so much selling your own product. You got to scale yourself. And how do you scale yourself? Well, you go online and you hire people to sell for you and you train them. In my office early on, there was a gentleman that was being paid to teach the life insurance course. So I went to the guy who had up the office and I said, listen, I will, I will teach the course. I passed it pretty quickly. It's not that hard. But like anything, you just need to study and know how to pass the test. And I said, I'll teach the course for you, but code me people out of the group immediately. So I was able to build a team pretty quickly. But it's, it's hard, you know, you got to stay on script. You need people who either don't have kids in the house or who don't have kids at all yet. So it's the young and the old. And people didn't stick. You know, it was really hard to build a team. And it was kind of a war of attrition. So if you could stick around long enough, build a good enough team, you could grow. But you're only selling one product. You're kind of drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, because that's how MLM works. But it was incredible sales experience. I knew that. Oh, you learned a ton. Yeah, you totally. A ton. More about myself and more about, you know, my ability to commit to something when it's hard. Like, man, you're going into houses randomly, four to six people a night, you know, Tottenham, Schaumburg, Alliston, you know, 10 years ago, I'd, I would go up to, um, I went to Sudbury, like I had people not pull a gun on me, but I would bring up, it was funeral plan insurance. And I remember I had one guy, I brought up death and he basically went to the back and the wife said he's getting his rifle. And I was like, I'm fucking leaving. Like it was, it was really intense. Why, why, why was he getting his rifle? Cause he was very religious and talking about death just did not work. Oh, so he wanted you out. Yeah, he wanted me out of the house. Yeah. And he and wasn't going to use his words? No, he was, well, <laughs> he, he was part, I got him through the hunters and anglers. So it was like a hunting group as well, you know, that we got the leads through, you know? So it was just a crazy experience, but. <coughs> oh, good for you, man. You, this is what it takes. You yeah. need to learn. You need to handle these situations. It makes you stronger. You learn about yourself. Totally, totally. Awesome. But they're also he, hold on, yeah. though. Hold on. Did he come back with the gun before you left, or you left before he got he got back? No, no. I think he came back in, and the wife was like, "Oh, he's getting his rifle." I think she was just fucking with me, oh, okay. to be honest with you. Um, but knowing that I came there through the hunt, anchor, hunt yeah, and anglers, yeah, yeah. you know, you, like, you weren't going to try to call the bluff. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> but there were a lot of times that listen, you're talking about things that are uncomfortable, sure. um, and. 
the nice part about that gig was getting comfortable being uncomfortable, which is like a massive part of sales, as you know. Of life. Yeah, totally. There was another situation. um, This kind of forced me to kind of get out of it. I remember it was my last appointment of the night. It was in Tottenham, Ontario. I was training a guy. And I remember I get to the door. I can't remember what union he was with. I knock on the door, said I'm here through this company. And he opens the door, he says, I'm not letting you in unless you have a shot of whiskey with me right now at the door. And (laughs) I'm like, sure, right, whatever. Have a shot of whiskey with him. Sit down at the table. How did you know it wasn't poison? That's a good question. Fingers crossed. I never actually thought of that, right? (laughs) I remember I get to the table, I'm with a guy, I'm training him. So we were driving around all night together. And to get to the table, he says the same thing. You're not starting your pitch unless you have another shot with me. And I said, listen, fine, but only one more. Because like I was still had to drive home. Sure. Right? Yeah. And I go through, it was all scripted. And the nice part about this job was that it taught you how to stay on script, right? Which is important in your early years in sales, to an extent, you know? And I was able to close him on a small whole life insurance policy, good normal commission. After I close a deal, I'm like, by the way, what about something for your wife? And he says, actually, um, my wife can't get insurance because I can't remember what she had, but she had some sort of illness or issue that she couldn't get insurance. And I said, listen, if your wife can't get insurance, you should insure your kids under the policy for, you know, 15, 20 grand each. It'll cost you an extra five or six bucks a month. Not because they need the insurance, but what if in 10 or 15 years they have the same thing? Oh, they geez. can't get insurance. At least they can get something then. And he's like, that's actually a good idea. Add five or 10 bucks a month. And that was actually my first claim. Um, about eight months later, sadly, the kid was riding his bike past the main street in Tottenham oh, God. behind his oh, buddy, no. eight years old. His kid went across the street and the, he was just smoked by oh, a car. No. And that was sadly my first claim. And it was brutal. Um, but they kind of thanked me for you know, the policy and whatnot. And, um, that's giving me chills. It was, it was a crazy situation and I was already kind of felt like I had, you know, one foot out the door at the company, not because I had a problem with the product or the people. It was all great. But at some point in time, you just feel like you're ready to move on from something. Yeah. The next, the next challenge. And that kind of, I really wanted to sell like actual products, you know, with this company, you're captive. So you could only sell what they were selling. And objections that I would get on the road a lot was, listen, this is great, but we have this and it's cheaper. And you always had to find a way to get around the objection. So one the way we would do that is, let's say someone had, you know, a half a million dollars of insurance and I'm offering them a funeral plan and another 100,000 of insurance. I wouldn't say, well, this is another 100,000. I'd say this is 2,000 a week for the next 50 weeks, you know, and it would be more significant. So it was all about handling objections, overcoming the objections, ABCs, always be closing. And at some point in time, I'm not good at drinking the Kool-Aid. I could do it for a little bit, but at some point in time, once I get the full scope of a product or a business, I need it to be real and I need to move on. So after this experience, I was lucky enough to meet a gentleman who had a large, large book of business, both insurance and investments. Um, we met, I met him through my mother and he basically said, listen, I can't do this forever. And maybe one day I'm, you can take over my book, but you got to last. So he gave me a desk in his office and I started from scratch. How old a, were you? How old were you? Oh, that was 2012. I'm 30, so 26, 27 years old. Okay. And, um, it was hard starting from nothing, you know, 
but early on through my brokerage, there was a gentleman who had a small book of business and he was leaving the industry. He wanted to move back to the UK or something. And he had about 200, 250 clients, all small insurance policies. But I saw this as, man, 250 warm leads. I work with 250 cold leads. Yeah, this, is, this is awesome, right? So I bought his book of business for like $25,000. Wow. And there were small trails there that allowed me actually to move out and like rent a place, which was nice. But more importantly, I had a stack of 250 people. So I basically... You already had customers. Yeah, it was great. I had 200. I remember I printed it all off. I dealt with it like I dealt with the leads on paper. I did my calling sessions and I basically had a well of people and 250 people that would take you to do meetings, especially back in the then pre-pandemic, everything is kitchen table in the evenings and weekends, right? So that was basically a suite. This is basically two years of work right here. Where does this drive, sorry to interrupt, where does this drive come from? You seem very driven, very, uh, you have a an ability to just kind of put your head down and get things done where no, no one's gonna do that. Ooh, that's deep, I don't know. Insecurity, not being good enough, like wanting to huh. succeed, seeing my dad work extremely hard, mm. um, dentist, put a lot of time in and effort in. And the way I saw it is it's great, but you got to be able to scale yourself and it's easier to scale yourself in financial mm -hmm. services. Like it's nice to make one sale and not have to put effort into continue to get paid. You know, um, that's the nice part about insurance and financial services. You get that trail, right? It's small, but if you can commit to it for 10, 20 years, policies turn over every 10 or 20 years, you're basically guaranteeing an annuity. You're guaranteeing being busy. It builds. You know? Yeah, it, it builds. builds. The small. nicest part about my industry, I'm sure you guys can say the same for yours, is you meet people who do everything. Mm. Everyone needs to, to buy a house. It doesn't matter what you do. Everyone needs to buy insurance. It doesn't matter what you do. And you know, going to school. Do we though? Do we really? <laughs> That's the, I didn't, I feel like you can't phase Adam. I Fine. I just when phased I say, him sorry. again. And when I said, do you, did you see a look on his face? Rent one at least. Like, you know okay, what I mean, I, no, right? I'm, Or like I'm everyone needs to deal I'm with sure a roof I'm over sure. their head. Yeah, yeah absolutely, you know? absolutely. And like, there's just so many jobs out there, people that you meet. I got involved in the marijuana industry early on because I Because you were good at, good at growing plants? <laughs> because uh, I met a guy, sold him insurance policy who was, you know, getting started in the marijuana industry early. Yeah, good and for you. You find like-minded people yeah. and you build relationships with them and you attach yourself to them. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but. So this know. gets you going then in insurance, you're on your way. Yeah. And then do you start selling this, some of these insurance products that we, we want to pick your brain about? Of today? course. Yeah, so, how does this, so how does this evolve? You start selling these products and how do you get to the point to writing this book, Fortune or Fiction? So Is there a subtitle to the book? why the be your own banker concept is flawed. Yeah. Like how, can you just transition yeah, us now actually, from starting totally. this to get to, to writing this book? So I wasn't really, at the end of the day, when you're getting trained in the industry, they train you on all the products, whether it's term or permanent. Um, and permanent insurance is a very popular product obviously, specifically whole life, participating whole life investment grade insurance. And through my book of business that I bought and one other and a few others that I have, there's a lot of people who have these policies on the books and they get dividends and the policies grow and they pay out. They're, they're like secure, good products. But I did notice with a lot of the clients that at least I dealt with, and maybe I'm 
my opinion is skewed because of what I've seen out there, right? I don't deal with the wealth stuff. I'm hoping to more as I grow, and I am, just like you want to deal with bigger clients as you grow. But early on, I dealt with, you know, the crap, the shit. And I noticed that a lot of these products... The shit clients. <laughs> not the shit clients, but the like, product. listen, if you, if, you, if you can't, if you rent your house and you can't afford, if you hardly afford rent, you're not putting a lot of money into investment grade whole life Got insurance, it. right? <laughs> but I noticed that a policy that was supposed to be worth in the hundreds of thousands of dollars after 20 or 30 years was a fraction of that. And... So that would, sorry, that's the value of the policy that people are hoping they get yeah. if they were to actually. Yeah, so they, they were showed this thing in the 1980s and early yeah. 90s. Yeah, what's, it, what's the thing called when you're buying that policy? The, it's, uh, it's like it's a projection, but there's like a name for it. The, the, Illustration. The, the, yeah. yeah, totally. Right, you know, you know the, it's the, that table yeah, that you a nice chart. Yeah. Usually has graphs that go up to the right. Yeah. Why wouldn't it always go up to the right? Yeah, Listen, course. all investments all, go up all to the right if you zoom out long enough, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, but none of them were, were what people thought they would be. However, sorry, what do you mean by that? None of them. You thought it was going to be worth $400,000 at this age, and it's only worth $150,000 at this age, right? Why? Why is it worth a fraction of what I was promised? Well, interest rates were high then, they're low now. And so, walk, walk, so walk, yeah, walk us through why that. So, the, they were high then, they're low now. So, what? You're not earning enough to compound into? I don't know. I honestly, I, I don't know. But the idea is that when interest rates were high, all these are based, are heavily based on interest rates, as I understand them. And because interest rates were so high, insurance companies love guaranteed investments, projected these sorts of returns. If, uh, if we're earning eight, even 10% compound that forward, there you go. here are the results. Look what interest rates were in the 80s, mm. right? Nonetheless, they're not that way. They basically were continuing to drop slowly two steps forward, one, like two steps back, one step forward, well into 2008 and beyond. And thus, because interest rates went down and they're very interest sensitive, the dividends aren't what you thought that they would be. But nonetheless, these people didn't look at these products like an investment. They were, it was still life insurance. And if mm -hmm. something happened to them, the money would be paid to their family. And the reality is they weren't paying a lot per month, maybe 20, 30, 40 bucks a month. It was still security. You're in your 70s and 80s. It doesn't make sense to cancel it. It's still inexpensive. So you don't think anything of it. Maybe that causes you to not necessarily like push your kids to do it because, well, you know, it was a scam, but you know what? It, it was cheap and thankfully I have it. Um, and that's kind of what led me down this path. I specifically met someone in the context of these books of businesses through a referral Sold her, I, I go through this in the book. I sold her a term policy, and she had an old participating insurance policy from one of these companies. And I'm an advisor. I took it over. Her advisor was long gone at that hold, point. Hold on to You speak with your hands like I do. Sorry. Hold on to the table. Like the hold on to the table. Like the, just because we're picking up a little bit yeah, of sorry. The, no, no, you're good. You're good. This is great. You keep going. <laughs> so I became the agent of record on her policy, not thinking anything of it. And I noticed in the first year that it was copied on her annual statement that she didn't get a dividend at all, like zero. Her policy was purchased in 1979. It was, I think, a $50,000 policy. And it was worth 80 now, so it grew by $30,000 through about ten dollars or $12,000 in paid-up additions. So over the last 20 or 30 years, she received ten to 12000 in dividends, and those purchased an additional 30000 in life insurance for her. Okay. So $80,000 policy. But I noticed that she wasn't getting dividends, and this is something I hadn't seen yet. I'd seen people with reduced dividends, but I hadn't seen people with 
zero dividends. So you, you got to help me out here. So the policy wasn't earning any anything. dividends. Yeah. Based on our. But, and the way it was advertised is the dividends would be earned and reinvested. Yeah. The, totally. the and they were, they were for the majority of the life of the policy. They were, but just for the last few years, there was did, nothing. There was nothing, you know? So email the insurance company say, well, what's going on here? And they saying, well, interest rates were high then they're really low now. Um, the block that she's in is not profitable, so we're not issuing a dividend. The block, oh, sorry, that, the block? Yeah, that was in your book. That was quite interesting. Right. So, Whenever you buy these policies, they block people. They group people and policies with similar characteristics. You know, so you guys, I don't know how old you guys are, but... 50, 40, oh, you're not 45 yet. Oh, 44, 44. spring 44. chicken. Oh. I don't know, so maybe you would be in a, a similar block, but... 38-year-old guy. I'd be in a block with other people 38 years old. I really don't know enough about the intricacies and the actuary and the nuance behind how these blocks are created. But the way I understand it is similar characteristics are blocked together. Hmm. And your block needs to be profitable to be issued a dividend. And that's separate from how the fund is doing. The fund, the participating fund, which operates like a pension, can be profitable. And it is. You know, These funds, some of them have been around for over 100 years consistent positive annual returns. That's how they're sold. That's how they're sold. But that doesn't necessarily mean your piece of the pie is profitable. And the reason why is because when you buy your policy, the illustration that you see is based on a certain set of assumptions. Those assumptions are very interest rate, as I understand now, sensitive. So in the marketing material, what they say is that a dividend, I want to make sure I get this, this right, a dividend is issued when the actual experience of the underlying block is more favorable than the assumptions made when the policy was priced. So those hmm. illustrations, the That's numbers that you see- interesting choice of words yeah, to explain that. Those, it's hard to. So basically, when you buy a policy, the numbers that you see are based on assumptions. Now, what is that assumption? That's a collection of returns, mortalities, lapses, loans, sure. all in there. Based and, and they assume how these variables are going to perform over 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 I, year I, period. I assume that they also assume their own profit margins through this whole 100%. thing. 100%. They have to be profitable. You know, If their assumptions are accurate or are exceed yeah. what they predict, then that will be accurate. Then you will get the dividends that are illustrated, illustrated. However, if their assumptions are off, meaning they predicted in my client's case that interest rates would have stayed significantly higher then dividends could decrease, which I was mm. experienced, or vanish altogether. Some of the assets they bought, rates came down, the assets lost value. These assumptions then aren't met we have the performance of the assets. Maybe, we, yeah. We brought this up when we were going through our process. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm guessing. I'm just yeah, throwing totally. shit against the wall here. Yeah, we, we actually brought this up during the process when we were buying ours. We brought the same thing up. We're like this, because of where rates are going, this this stuff's... Uh, yeah, and another yes, angle was, was like just inflation adjusted. I was like, and if I inflation adjust some of the stuff that I'm going to get out here, like really what am I getting or my, what is my family getting yeah. at the end? But were you pitched also a universal life product where... You just pay for the insurance and then you can invest the difference. So participating whole life, if I'm spending with universal life, I spend a hundred a month. As long as I spend a hundred a month, it's worth a hundred grand, but okay. I can spe put an additional hundred a month into it. So I put 200 a month, a hundred a month into the insurance, a oh. hundred a month into the, and that's called participating. That's in universal life. You and that hundred a month, I could pick 
U.S. equities, you know, yeah, global equities. I think equities. that's what we don't, what do we, what do we, we don't put a, a, anything extra, but we get, our dividends get rolled in and right. we, get, we get more insurance. That's, that's participating. So in universal life, you get to decide where you want your money invested. Oh, okay. It's like in a fund or you can guaranteed interest or Canadian technology index. Yeah, so we, right? don't, we, we just give it to them and they figure exactly. it out. Exactly. So instead of deciding what goes where, they say, okay, we're just taking the 200 a month, you get, and we just invested for you. The difference is, is that the growth is not based on the performance of the par fund. The growth is based on the accuracy of their predictions. And you and don't then, know. And then your block within this. Totally. Exactly. And the problem is, is that they don't share what those predictions are. And that's kind of, I want to be careful. I don't want to criticize the product too much because it is good to an extent to have a hands-off investment. The reality is, is these insurance companies wouldn't be able to continue to sell these products if they, if they didn't issue dividends. And I go over this in my book, the issue with the vanishing premiums. They have had to pay for the mistakes of the past with regards to how these policies were pitched by advisors, not by the insurance company, but pitched by advisors. And they didn't do a good enough job in reining in the advisors who would make these policies products seem more than what they were, right? But at the end of the day, the vast majority of people who have these are getting dividends. I, I would hope that based on what's happened in the past, the assumptions now are more conservative. You know, Thankfully, we are in a rising interest rate environment, which is good for an insurance company. So ironically, as much as I crap on sometimes the product and the concept, this may be one of the best times to buy this because of a rising rate environment. Now, you can speak to people like you know, Jesse, the Bitcoiners are going to like, well, two steps <laughs> forward, it's going to be four steps back. 28 steps back. Exactly. Is We're going to get negative interest rates. And I, I remember there was a, one of the chief actuaries, one of the major insurers, who actually was the actuary for this product, basically said, if you want, trans I mentioned this in the book, I tracked them down. If you want transparency, don't buy this product. It's a black box. This was right before the pandemic, and he said, we are all betting on interest rates rising. If they go down, we're all fucked. And when he said, we're all fucked, he meant your dividends are not going to be what you think they will be. <laughs> and they went straight down. They went straight down. Yeah, but, but now, now, they're, now they're coming, coming back up. up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So my issue with the product is just there's not enough, um, not enough transparency about it. But listen, sometimes... You want transparency, but it's nice to have something that hand that, that's hands off. It is. You know? And I think it's just different personality types. I think Nick and I like to know all the details and it's why it took us six or eight, nine, 12 months to sign this insurance policy thing is because we kept looking at the papers and we just couldn't. Where does this come from? Yeah, we couldn't understand. You can't. It's not possible. And when we ultimately signed, like I'll never forget the day when we ultimately signed. Nick, you said, I think, hey, we got that appointment or like we buying these policies. And I, and I remember think, saying, I, I guess we are like, do you know what's going on? <laughs> Thinking we had both like we just trusted the people a lot and we still do we, yeah. were, we still no, have a great we, relationship we were, every time we had the meeting we were very they were great we were very clear on things but then as yeah. soon as the meeting was over an hour later i was like how did that one thing work again we're, yeah we well you don't know you don't you you can't know because okay. like it's this not this is making me feel better because i've never walked out of meetings and 30 minutes later going what happened there again <laughs> well like i don't at the end of the day not enough advisors have been down this rabbit hole and i didn't it's not like I was doing research. You know, this came from seeing policies that haven't worked out. But this all came to a head probably maybe a year and a half ago when I started to see this be your own banker, mm -hmm. infinite banking concept pop up on Instagram all the time. Um, a lot of guys coming out of the Jeez, U.S. Thank God I'm not on Instagram it. a lot. That would make me crazy. Yeah, it does. And probably should stop scrolling, <laughs> you know. But nonetheless, it, it would pop, probably because I'm in insurance, right? They have data, you know. And... 
a lot of it out of the U.S., some of it out of Canada. But they're basically positioning the participating insurance product as a bank account where... That's how we've always heard it. We've had people here talking about So this. I want, Dumi, explain to me what you understand of the concept. God, this is going to be embarrassing. No. I can try. Um, about be your own bank? Yeah, be your own bank, that there's, banking. There's the, I don't know about, I haven't looked into it. Like, it's same, it's same, same idea. Bank. Okay, so the be your own bank, to me, the way I was understanding this particular approach was you can get a policy that's a little bit different than the, what we have that is considered a high cash value policy and that you can contribute to it for one or two or three years, but in short order, after maybe two or three years, the money that you've put into it, you can actually borrow back out of the policy and use that money to do other things with, for example, buy another income property or a rental property. Could, yeah. And then you continue contributing to this policy and it grows until uh, it's worth, you know, $83 million. Yeah. Um, I'm joking to whatever it's going to be worth. But uh, there's this high cash value component that you're allowed to basically kind of be your bank where you put money into this, but you're taking it you out. You do that right now with your real estate, though. So how's that any different? Help, so help me make the connection there. Well, you buy a piece of real estate. Yeah. It goes up in value. Yeah. You borrow against it. it. <laughs> and you you borrow against it and you use that to buy more real estate. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's an asset that you can leverage to grow yeah. Yeah. and make create more assets. So how is that what does it have to do with an insurance policy? Um I don't really know. You have a non-registered other stock than this is a, I guess, a, I guess a, I guess. a real estate isn't like an, a piece of insurance. Well, yeah, this, yeah, it is. How is it not? Yeah, no, it is. Well, it's the selling feature against like a term policy or something. That's kind well, of the selling position, feature right? against an, a term policy is that your term policy is going to be worthless in ten or twenty years. I have a, a six million dollar term twenty. When I am fifty-five, it's it's gone. It's gone. Yeah, it was cheaper, but it's yeah. Gone. I'm paying three twenty-seven a month for it, mm. but that's. I guess my, my, my belief was always just, I was always going to get term policies. And by the time I would need a policy like this, one, this policy um, that we got, I'd have another, enough other assets in my life that I would yeah. never, I would never need it. So I would kind of seamlessly transition from uh, term to just not needing this type of. Insurance. And you have the permanent there, which kind of stays the same. It's guaranteed mm. to pay out of debt. You can cover taxes. Yes. It's liquidity to your family. I noticed that with wealth. You know, especially when you have one person who deals with the money in the family, the other person who doesn't. And I see this a lot with my book of business because of a lot of older clients. The husband or the wife, it's older clients, it's generally the husband passes away. There's a lot of assets there. The wife doesn't know where to start. You know, not a lot of money in the checking sure. account. Do I go to the TFSA, RSP? I have a line of credit. How does the line of credit work? They want to call their accountant. They need to talk to a lawyer. They don't want to touch anything. Mm -hmm. They don't want to break anything. They have 150 grand, 200 grand come in immediately, and that's just eight months, money in the bank, I don't have to worry. And that's really what it is. It's immediate liquidity when you need it. You know, that's what permanent... Okay, that's, a, that's a nicer way to say it. That, you know? So can, then can you walk us through it for someone who doesn't know the be your own bank or infinite banking idea? Can you explain what that is? Yeah. And then explain your thinking totally, about it. Totally, totally. So borrowing money generally speaking, sucks. Now, you're real estate guys. Like, mm -hmm. You think it's awesome, right? But most no, people... No, you have to deal with the banks, and the banks exactly, really suck. Exactly. And what's the problem with borrowing the bank's money? Is that you That's pay the bank... It's interest. on their terms. It's on their terms, and the interest leaves you. Mm -hmm. That's gone. Never to be recaptured, right? What if you could borrow from yourself? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. Exactly. Well, now you can. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> now you can. You do this through this concept called the Be Your Own Banking and Infinite Banking concept. 
You buy this policy. You capitalize it, right? Grows over time. And you borrow against it. The nice part about borrowing from <laughs> your own Adam's bank. The way Adam's saying it, I'm just laughing it out. <laughs> the nice part of borrowing from your own bank is that the interest is recaptured. You make the interest. When you borrow from their bank, they make the interest. However, when you borrow from your own bank, you make that interest. It's recaptured. It comes back to you. Now, why do people think that the interest is recaptured? It's simple, because when you see this illustration, what are those numbers based on? They're based on a dividend scale interest rate. The dividend scale interest rate is presented as a percentage. So I'm going to use pre-pandemic, because there are some specific videos I saw on this. Dividend scale was 5%. Interest rate is 3%. You make that 2% spread. You're effectively borrowing money for free. You're actually making money, right? The insurance company is charging you 3%. You're making 5%. You can then deploy, take that money, deploy it in real estate, other assets, mm -hmm. pay off credit card debt, doesn't make a difference. And you're hacking the banking system mm -hmm. because- But you're paying that original 3%. Well, yeah, but you're making five. There's a 2% spread there. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that a 5% dividend scale interest rate is not the same as a 5% return. It's, remember, it's not the same thing. It's actually shouldn't even be a percentage. When you're driving your car and I ask you how fast you're going, right, you don't just say 35. You say kilometers an hour. Right? I know how fast you're going. But, and when you say someone 5%, they assume that that's a piece of something. 5% of a pie, mm -hmm. you know. Or 100, yes. you know, is five. But you're not making 5% on your money. 5% is a scale. It actually should just, should just be scale five or assumption five. Because if our assumptions are off, it could be four, three, two, one. So people think that they're making the interest or they're making what the banks make because of how it's presented. You're going to get 6% and you're borrowing at 3%. Or now, so it's an assumed five? Like it's, it is, I don't know what it is. Remember, go, If things go well, we assume you'll likely probably maybe make five? But no, it's not a, you're not making five. Remember, there's a number of variables and it's how accurate the assumptions are. But you don't know what the assumptions are, and they don't tell you what the assumptions are. Yeah, so you don't even know what the five is. You just have to believe off. in the black box. Yes, you just exactly. Now here's the thing: it's easy to buy into this concept in the early years, and the reason why is because the returns can be pretty handsome. My daughter has a policy. I'm paying about two twenty three a month for her, so twenty four hundred a year. Her dividend most recently was like eight hundred bucks. So like that's not. It's a pretty good return, you know, and. Hopefully, she's going to get these dividends forever, only have to pay for it for 20 years. And it's, I have comfort in knowing that it's a hands-off investment. And when she's 20 years old, it'll be paid for. And hopefully, she'll get dividends for the rest of her life. Even if they stop, she'll still have a policy that's hopefully worth a half a million that she doesn't have to pay for anymore. And if dividends continue, great. If they don't, it's still good the way it is. You know? But at the end of the day, in those early years, the returns are, are solid. But the problem is... These companies are making assumptions, 20, 30, 40, 50, like basically for the rest of her life. Like how accurate do you think those are? Like, I don't know. Like maybe they're accurate, maybe they aren't. But these insurance companies, they don't disclose what the assumptions are, which I think is unfair. So that's the point that kind of is irking you a little bit. Exactly. And this goes back to the Bureau of Banking concept. You shouldn't be telling people that, their own that they are their own bank or making the interest 
when they're effectively not. And it's compelling people without the means to buy something that they otherwise wouldn't buy or shouldn't buy. People don't like borrowing money, especially people who don't have a lot of money. So if you tell them they can borrow from themselves and make the interest, and they're screwing the banks because now the banks are making the interest. They're using. They're the going to be like, sweet, now I can borrow from this, and I make the interest. I'm hacking the financial system. Well, no, you are doing the exact same thing, right, as borrowing from a bank. Well, it's, it's even actually worse because there's no transparency with regards to how these dividends are given mm-hmm. to you. You don't know what the assumptions are. You don't know what it'll look like in 50, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. It's true. The wealthy do do this stuff, but the wealthy leverage all of their assets. Like Jeff Bezos, he borrows against his Amazon stock. Sure. You know, you could do that. Why is it that we don't have an army of advisors going around, right, talking about the bring your own banking concept in the context of your house? And I use this example in the book. Condos paid off, half a million bucks. Your advisor says, get a line of credit, Put it into, you're borrowing from CIBC? How about this, take out a line of credit and invest the line of credit into CIBC. You'll, it's gonna be a wash, because the dividends are a little bit lower than what the interest is. You get to participate in the upside of the stock. Your out of cost net is low. Be your own bank. Why isn't that be your own bank? Why isn't that infinite banking? You're, are you recapturing your interest because the interest that you're paying to CIBC is returning to you in the form of dividends? Well, yeah, maybe, but I think we can agree that you can't draw a straight line between the interest you're paying to the CIBC and the dividends that you receive from them when they issue a dividend. And the reason why no one pitches it as be your own bank because there's no fat commission check attached to that concept. Now that's me being a cynic, but genuinely that's what I believe, you know? So, you- so then, the, but the flip side is so, and I, I, I agree. I, I like that positioning. So the, the the problem I had with a lot of this stuff is, I never like it when things are presented as this is the ultimate solution. There's only good because I'm I'm a believer that there's good and bad to everything. There's always like this other side of the coin, and. Often it's presented like there's no downside. So whenever something's presented to me like there's no downside, I'm like, there's, this is bullshit. Like, I hate this. Why do people have to explain so it? it? But, but just to, to continue on that, the, the flip side of this is, is that the, the person ends up even, so if they buy into that concept, they still do have the, the insurance component of the policy afterwards. But the challenge with it is if someone's buying into that concept, and like you said, without the means, and they can use that those funds on a monthly basis for something else that might be more important at that stage in their life, then they're buying, then maybe that's, they're not being served properly by being sold onto that concept. That's a hundred percent the point. You know, Dave Ramsey is mm-hmm. right. Um, you may not like him. He's like against debt in all. I forms. just hear his name. I don't know him well or his. He's a stuff. personal. He teaches fi- about credit and debt. And he's all a this. personal finance expert in the U.S. Older gentleman. He has a radio show. A lot of people Huge call following, it massive. Right? Yeah, yeah, you know, and he's like anti-debt. Right. Everything in cash. You know, no one owns no bank owns anything of yours. Um, A lot of the aggressive real estate guys. No, you need to use debt and leverage. Mm -hmm. But also look, older dude, look where he comes from. Sure. It's a different generation. Everybody. He grew up with rates that were 16, 18 percent or whatever. they And like there was no gamification of the economy Mm -hmm. then. It was very different, you know, but he calls whole life insurance the payday lender of the middle class. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why is because people are tying up their cash flow and a lot of it in things that serve that, that won't end up serving them in the long run. 
And that's that's my issue with it. So a lot of there are insurance companies because you're pitch. you're seeing it on some policies where they're not living up to what the expectations were. Where our, ours are like that, just for, for context. Yeah. I looked at ours, I think last year, or mine, Did you? at least. Oh, yeah, because I looked at the value of it when I was looking into all this stuff. Because I started diving into this stuff a little bit. Because I'm like, why am I not buying this whole message hook, line, and sinker? And I looked into the illustration a little bit because we've had ours now for for five, five, five years? six years, some, yeah. something like that. And we're behind the illustration. I forget by how much, but we're behind over the last five years. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's mm -hmm. why, 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 one to, reason. Mm -hmm. Sorry to cut you off. I don't want to say, like, name the insurance company, but I've been down the rabbit hole with all these companies. They know now that what is being illustrated will not come to fruition. And now I know. Right? <laughs> and so much so that they tell advisors to illustrate current minus one and current minus two. Now you say current minus one or current minus two in terms of dividend scale. That's like, oh, instead of five, it's three or two and a half. Well, that's a 50% drop mm. in dividends, right? That's a It's not big, minus one. No, yeah. it, it's not. Oh, like it, exactly. It's a big difference. And remember, even though these funds are returning seven, eight, nine, ten 10% per year, that's like, you're not getting that. Um, I don't oh. think I knew that. Did you know that, Nick? Nobody really knows that. Yeah. There's, well, I didn't I assumed, know that you were put into a block. Or I didn't know about putting into the block, but I just assumed like, I'm like, I'm not getting, they have, they need profit. Like, what are the fees to manage those funds? And that's not, uh, that was never explained or outlined anywhere. I'm like, well, they've left that part out because I'm, I'm sure they're not managing the funds for free. No, they're not. Right? Listen, they may, the, the five largest insurance companies in Canada are holding a combined $110 billion in assets on the books wow. in these par accounts. Like that would put it up with, any massive pension fund. And imagine putting yourself, imagine sitting with your advisor and your advisor says, I have an amazing fund for you. It's great long-term. You'll be like, okay, what is it gonna, what do you think it's gonna do? And he'll say, well, I think you're gonna get 6% on your money every year. You'll say, that's great. Where, why 6%? And he can give you, show you the breakdown of the fund. Here's why I think it'll be 110 years of a history. Or no, exactly. And he'll say, listen, like here are the primary assets. I'm so sick of that message. Yeah, I always yeah, hear that's yeah, what yeah. I always hear. Yeah, 110 but, years, 110 years. Here are the assets. Here's what I believe they'll do over the next 10 or 20 years because this is where the economy is going. Let's say the fund is heavy in AI or tech or whatever it is, infrastructure, oil. doesn't matter what it is. People, in, people can have a reasonable discussion with regards to what they believe certain companies will be worth in the long run. Small or large. But imagine he says, it's going to do 5% a year. And you say, what's that based on? And he says, I, I can't tell you. <laughs> I, just, I yeah. just can't tell you. Um, but I by like the way, the way Adam, you only get... I, I like the look in Adam's eye. You only get... Like, hold on a second. You only get that 5%, right, if the fund returns a certain amount. Well, what is it? How fund? much is that? I can't tell you. <laughs> But I'm pretty sure it will. 110 years. 110 years. What has been around for 110 years? Nothing. But this has, you know. <laughs> what have we done? Listen, I don't want to tell you to. Like, no, 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 no. And I think that's, no, why, a good way I think that's why we didn't get. I was, Nick, I, was, I don't think I told you this. I was recently meeting with someone. I told them the, how much we got of this stuff. And they were actually surprised how little the amount was. And I, the well, way I explained it is I'm like, Nick and I like to understand. We like in every investment decision, if we don't have the information advantage, we feel like we're being played. Well, you so, are to an extent. Yeah. So already. Always, and that's why we like real estate, because you can argue all day long if it's good or bad. But we like that we can understand all the variables. Like well, it's there's real. interest rate risk. Here's maintenance problems. There's vacancy issues. There's, there's no black, there. the, the black box. We there's don't no black, black box. box. Like no. it's all in black or white. Like we can kind of lay it all out there. And we like that. Then if we feel we can layer on our own personal experience and get an information advantage on the situation, then that asset makes a lot of sense to us. We're like, yes, let's proceed. Let's go all in. And Whereas, that, that applies to any real, like the words you're talking about. 
real estate, but we're open to any asset. Oh my gosh. Really, if, and, if those, yeah. that's and, principles. Any, any asset. And it's part of the reason I don't go into some stocks that people think are good stocks because I don't know what's going on at the board of directors. I don't have the information advantage. So I, I like Silicon it. Valley Bank. Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, I was in a tech company before it went public. I saw the inner workings of these tech companies. Well, not, you know, not all of them, but some of them. It's a little wild inside there. And I'm like, You mean to tell me the world's a little bit corrupt? And <laughs> well, I'm not saying any of that. that you know, no, I don't. A, I'm just saying, like, everyone is self interested, of course. Like, no, no investment is perfect, but the goal with investing is to know as much as you possibly can. Yeah, and I think that was the trouble, which is why we didn't go higher, is that we just couldn't understand the inner workings of this product. And you can tell the way we're explaining it even to you. It's like, we don't have a complete, or at least I don't, I'll speak for myself. I don't have a firm grasp of this thing. And I ultimately got- But we're not using it for that. Like at the end of the day for us, we're, we're using, using it for a little for bit purpose. of what Adam said, a bit of quick liquid uh, money if something was to happen. But here's the thing, you guys should take those policies and go to the bank and get credit against them Okay. And leverage them just like anything else. This is a great sure. question yeah. because I called my bank. I called the, the branch manager at the bank that uh, that we use, and because because everyone tells me how easy it is to use these as as leverage, and I talked to the, to the, her there, and she's like. Honestly, I have no idea how to do this. I don't know anyone how to do this. I've made some calls and I'll follow up with you. I never followed up with her, to be fair. She never followed up with me because she probably didn't get the information. So, so that was one of the big five banks. No clue. And they do volume at this branch. It's not a small branch. So the banks that do it are Manulife Bank. They do it because they sell a lot of insurance. They understand it. Duca Financial does this as well. It's funny because I'm working with a client who met me through this book. This guy's a real estate guy. He wants to put 200 grand a year into this. And I was battling him, right? And it just got to the point because I didn't want him to go down this road. I just wanted to make sure if you're going to put 200 grand a year into something, you're like, you're really comfortable with this. You know, that's a lot of fucking money. So on the last call, I was sitting there and I, he said, and I'm like, okay, so, so what do you want to do? And he says, I wanted, I know I read your book. I want to do the beer own banking thing. And I said, I said, man, it's not beer own banking. He says, Adam, shut up. Look at me. And we're on Zoom. I look at him. He's like, I'm not an idiot. I know what I want. This is what I want. I'm like, okay, need I say more? You know, we're going down the path together. I have the insurance company working with me to produce an illustration. And I want to use this to, to get as deep as I can. Because I really want to make sure that in 20 or 30 years, it's as accurate and he's as it could have been, and yeah. he's happy. And it's funny because they produced it and said, okay, now with this, we're going to connect you with the bank, right? The third part, Duke of Financial, specifically to do a oh, third-party loan. I know, I know and I found going. that ironic because the whole point of the beer banking concept is that you're borrowing from yourself. It's that you're borrowing from the policy, not borrowing from a bank. But the irony is, is that like I'm pitching this concept, the insurance company's aware of this concept, this company, and the first thing I do is they're like, perfect, like go to this other bank. And I'm like, well, that's kind of ironic. Like we're going to back to the banks, right? When the whole point was to get away from the banks, you know? But you mentioned something interesting about like the policy. The, the reality is, is that a lot of people confuse the product paying out with the product working. So God forbid if something happened to you, your, your wives would get the checks. Sure. And then the advisor would go back being like, this worked. And like, maybe you should buy it or maybe you should give it to the kids. And she, she may, may not, probably will at some point. And people confuse the policy working with being paid a death benefit, right? And that's a sad reality. 
with what's going on now regarding the beyond banking concept. And just to be clear on that, because you're saying the death penalty is the death benefit. Was, the death benefit was paid out in that circumstance. Yeah, and there always saying, are. Listen so to permanent could, policy. So that you could say, hey, it was working. What yeah. you're talking about is the investment returns within the policy during the life of that policy. Totally. And that's it's okay to say to someone, I think it's gonna do this. It's really impossible to know, but think of how many people don't know what an, a stock or a bond is. You know, there's something to be said about having hands-off investments, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, no, um, and you keep bringing that up, and it's but valid. the sure. issue is, is that these products are being positioned at a way to hack the financial system and grow wealth, right? You're in real estate, grow wealth here, too. This is not a way to grow wealth. This is a way to place to park wealth once you have it. Mm. This is a bill. This is something you need to pay out of pocket every month. It may pay you, it may not. You better be re- comfortable paying this potentially for the rest of your life, you know? And history has proven that it's probably not going to work out the way it was pitched. And I go through this in my book again, the vanishing premium litigation. And I believe the bureau and banking concept that we see now is basically the vanishing premium 2.0. So back in the late 70s and early 80s, par policies were sold as vanishing premium. And the idea was interest rates were high. You buy this. And you only have to put money into it into for two, three, or four years. The so premiums would effectively vanish. Yeah, they'll like pay for it. Take they'll pay for itself, yeah. right? Yeah, pays for itself. Now the dividends would support it. The dividends would pay for the annual premium. Exactly. After two, three, four, five years. So a lot of people bought into that, and the illustrations made it seem that way. This coincided, and I go through this the Richard Phillips article in my book. He presented. Um, this paper to the Mississippi Bar Association in 1996, where he went goes through the vanishing premium litigation. And the par policies that were sold this way kind of coincided with the computer revolution. Instead of sitting down with your advisor and buying a policy just based on a premium and a death benefit, this gentleman would sit there and show you this is what it's going to look like in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And the returns were incredible. And you could the idea wasn't to borrow against it, but the idea was, look how much money would be there for your family. You could even draw on these premiums in retirement to supplement your income. But what was missing from the explanations were how dependent these illustrations were on interest yes. rates staying high. The assumptions. The assumptions. Specifically, the assumption was that interest rates would stay high forever. Now, I don't know how high, but nonetheless, that was the idea. Well, interest rates started to come down. I remember that era. That was whole Freedom 55. Do you remember when we were younger? Where do you think think Freedom 55 comes from? Mm. You know, they sold insurance policies. Mm. This was the concept. This was the pitch. Now, the insurance company said, well, the advisors positioned it this way. Like, we didn't position it this way to the advisors, you know? And they tried to push it down on the advisors. But nonetheless, and maybe some of that's true. Maybe some of that isn't true. It's probably really complicated. People hear what they want to hear. Especially when they have a vested interest in selling something and they can make a lot of money. Um, But nonetheless... Premiums vanish. Real estate has the same concerns. Yeah, a bunch totally. of people say real estate will never go down. You can do no wrong. The totally, whole thing. Totally. Every industry kind of has. I say zoom out, but of yeah. course you're right. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> but premiums would go away, and then they would. They started to reappear, and there was a lot of litigation in the '90s and into the late '90s and early 2000s. Multi-million dollar settlements paid out, and the reason why settlements were paid out was because there was a specific claim being made. Your premiums would vanish. My premiums didn't vanish. So, like, the compensation is clear. What are my premiums? 300 a month for the next 60 years? Well, you can calculate that. Nowadays, 
we have the same thing happening. Instead of the computer revolution of the 70s and 80s showing people illustrations, you have the, I don't know, economic gamification of the financial services industry. You have TikTok videos making things seem extremely attractive. Mm -hmm. You have a video of these illustrations becoming your own banker, dividends for life. You have people on camera basically saying, buy this, you never have to pay off the debt, you, you'll get dividends for life and a security from your family. Now, they, they, there's no way to know whether or not that will be true. And the biggest concern I have is that we're pushing people without the means to buy into these things when they're much better off buying a term insurance policy, a disability, actual insurance to take care of risk, right? And taking that money and working with it themselves, either investing in themselves or buying a stock or buying a mutual fund. Buy anything. So your problem really, you know, this. is 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 the black box. Like because he's not talking about the it's actual. Deeper than de that. It's the of course. Well, the black box and and the black box and also just and you know any industry has good and bad people to be fair. But in how some a portion of the industry is going to um, position it as the you know the ultimate solution for people that it might really not be the even not, never mind the ultimate solution even an ideal solution. Yeah, it's not no it's no solution. It's a whole life insurance policy that's going to grow. How how is that? Why are you confusing that with a bank account? Why are we confusing that with wealth? Well, why? Cuz the Rockefellers had a policy and they borrowed against it and mm -hmm. the kids Well, of course, the Rockefellers probably borrowed against everything they had to build their empire. Mm -hmm. Like if you have assets, you leverage them. Why sell the asset when you can borrow against it? And the difference between um I don't even if I'm using the right words, whole life versus well participating whole participating life. Participating whole life versus yeah. what's universal? Universal. Yeah. That's where you still have. Is it? Is the are the premiums roughly the same? So let's say, like for the amount of actual death benefit, the premiums are roughly the same. They're going to be half because you're only committed to paying for the cost of the insurance. Okay, and then what do you right? Uh, so I, I can. I wish I should have brought an illustration, but let's say. So just use round numbers. So ten grand on the participating life, five grand. No, let's say hundred. Let's do hundred a month UL. Okay. Right, hundred grand. Right, you can take two hundred a month. 100 a month goes to the insurance, 100 a month goes into the investment component, and you can decide where to put that. That same participating whole life policy would be 200 a month. Got it. They just decide where that 100 for a month you. goes. Okay. They do that for you. And you're committed to that 200 a month. This whole thing kind of reminds me of just talking about real estate differently, because I guess you could say, okay, borrow the money to buy a property at, you know, whatever percent interest, but real estate historically goes up at, uh, you know, we ran the numbers from 1969. It's just like under seven, seven. Yeah. Let's just round it to 7%, 7%. So if you're borrowing at 5% um, and you're paying out 5%, but the properties are appreciating at 7% and it's appreciating a, at a bigger value because what you've borrowed, you're controlling an asset at a much higher value. You're way ahead here because you're paying out 5%, but you're borrowing at 7%. Like this is just like an absolute no brainer. Yeah, but if you it, can't afford the monthly payment, because it's not, then it's a really crappy solution for you. Yeah, if you can't afford making those payments yeah. to hold the property, this is the whole thing's going to kind of blow up on you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or looking at like a REIT, you know how you and I, well, I maybe, I, I don't really like REITs because I just feel like, well, what am I really controlling? How many fees are in there? Like what's really growing? Who's making what? Like it just feels like a bit of a black box to me yeah. because they buy a bunch of real estate. Then there's a bunch of management fees in there. I don't know how it's run, how much money is leaking out in these fees. I don't trust anything. That's a great way to make money. And you're secured against the asset. That's what I'm comfortable with. It's very with. clear. It. It's, like clean. it's clean. I know 
if things work out, I make this percentage. If they screw up, you can make a little bit more. You have to be fair to people because you still want to generate business. But nonetheless, like, you know exactly where your money is, you know? With a lot of the financial products, it's hard to understand where your money is. Um, and with this, it's even harder. But my main bone to pick, to pick is with how it's being positioned mm -hmm. and to whom it's being positioned. Yeah, I've never heard it that way. That's what you're basically that's saying. That's 100% that's what it it's is. It's like these assumptions of these returns are really just assumptions. And that's okay. They, they, uh, They're just not explained like that And you don't, the they don't need to explain it to you. You, you can, listen, the insurance companies acknowledge that like, they don't disclose these things. It's proprietary. We have a long history, right? But buy it. And listen, I have a client with a policy on the book from 1969. It was a $10,000 policy. She's still paying $2.50 a month. Right. Wow. And the dividends are crazy. Like maybe there were changes made to these funds between the late 60s and late 70s. There probably was to coincide with this computer revolution. They ramped up sales, you know? But that doesn't mean that someone should confuse this with recapturing your interest. And that is my biggest issue. Instead of, you have a policy, you go to Honda, you wanna get a Civic. Well, instead of getting the financing through Honda, borrow against your policy and make the payments to your policy. Why? Because you've a vested interest in the interest. Well, no you don't. Now, if the interest rate against your policy is lower than what Honda's charging you, no brainer, sure. you go where the debt's the cheapest, yeah. but don't go where the debt you, is coming back to you, because it's not. It's the entire idea of recapturing your own interest, making what the banks make. It's just blatant bullshit. You're not recapturing your own interest. Now, are you kind of paying the interest through dividends, or can you borrow at a low rate and make it as a, at a higher rate? Of course, you can do that with any form of leveraging but you have to be careful. But the idea that you have a special vested interest in the interest that you're paying to the par fund, you, you just don't. And, and that's my biggest problem with it. It's cool, because then people have the they have both sides of the coin. So and like, if you want to do it, you still do it, but at least you're I was going to say, like, the client that you're working with has said, hey, look, I know what you're saying. I want this anyways. But, but now he's going in and making that decision fully informed. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. And I think that's, for me, some of the the piece of, 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 of the process, at least or the sales process that I've been exposed to, that was missing. Because I, I think that's just, always why we felt like it wasn't, we didn't feel good about it. We were like, well, now what, is, I, what are we not getting? Yeah. And now I know the flip side. Yeah. And I'm like, then for me, I can then confidently make the decision one way or the other. And But why, and, do you, and no one, why did you trust trust him? That's a big of a, a longer story. One of the best mentors in our li life was our past account who's passed away. He had some illness. But he was able to use this p policy that he had to get some medical care that extended. That his, he wouldn't have been able to get. That he wouldn't so. be able to get extended his life. So, and then he came to us and kind of shared some of this. And we thought, okay, so the way that. And then I got it for, I mean, you know, beyond that. So that's got us interested in the whole thing. And then for me, the way I looked at it, like I was explaining to you earlier, which, which you briefly said something that kind of made me think like, yeah, I never looked at that way but i thought so our policy is both to die so my wife and i so but but joined, I was, joined first or last joined last, last. last okay so. it's for the kids yeah yeah, yeah, so it was it was cheaper. It was yeah. partly yeah. If, if I disappear, I'm like, you know what? At least I know there's some cash value asset there that she's able to then access some some funds if she needs it. So it 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 supports her and the family, and then ultimately, yeah, it's it ends up being for the kids. So I, I'm basically like, shit, I see it now. It's just that's why we. I'm like, oh, so this is really for the kids. I'm like that's basically mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And we're not high cash value, so we get more insurance for the cost. You know, what yeah. I mean? so we didn't bring it forward. So our advisor said like a, I think you know, we were allowed to but, buy but remember insurance is for those things you know 
even with a term policy, I've had a few clients pass away of terminal illnesses, and they were able to borrow a quarter million dollars against their term 10 insurance policy. Really? I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't know that. Terminal illness benefit. A lot of the insurance companies don't advertise it because you don't. Where, how would you do that? You go to Manulife? Or you, so you have a policy with, with Manulife. I, this client of mine, she had a $1.5 million policy. She was diagnosed with cancer four years into the policy. She was able to borrow as long as there's a high likelihood of death within 24 months. Jeez. You can borrow up to, every insurance company is different. In this case, it was $250,000 against her policy. She didn't have to pay the interest. They just captured the interest and they deducted it from the death benefit when she passed away 16 months later. She got a check for $250,000. What, what rate wow. when they do that? Like, do you know, like, I, I know the, the bank exact rate. rate. At the time, it was 3.5%. So, really? Okay. Yeah, so that, that's what I was always interested in. Adam, so where do people that. find your book here? For where? How do they find it? Is My website, website. I think it's fortuneofiction.ca. You think or you know? I like how you think. <laughs> I have a lot on the go. I really haven't been pushing <laughs> it that much. Or fiction. Yeah, I think I, it links to my other website, Nyman Financial Inc. or Insurance at a Glance. As you can tell, I'm still rounding out my marketing and social media strategy, you know, so. No, but I think it's a great service that you put this together because I, to Nick's point, as long as you know what you're doing, then if you still decide to do it, it's completely fine. Yeah, totally. But I just feel like you're peeling back the curtain a little bit here and just sharing some information that I've found very difficult to well, understand. Well, now I get it. Now I get one is giving up control. One is kind of just taking more responsibility and control of the financial side of it for yourself. Which I've always... I, may, I might be dumbing it down. No, so that's true. That's but, true. But, but, no, which I've always understood. Where, what I didn't quite understand was that it seemed always presented to me like such an obvious no-brainer. Like, why would you not do this? Because this is what you do. And I never quite got it. I'm like, I could just take the money myself and invest things directly myself and make these decisions. I, I don't understand why this was just presented almost like coming from a place of ego, like, hey, this is like, if you're considering yourself a financially literate person, you should own one of these policies. I'm actually surprised that you don't. I'm not saying our insurance guys. I think they're actually for the design for the financially illiterate and they've been positioned and twisted for the financially illiterate. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Exactly. Is the, is the and I, I maybe you're not. You shouldn't share this. I don't know. I looked it up online. What? What? You know. Just, oh yeah. You the way like, they make commissions work. So I'm curious. Annual premium. It's the annual premium. That's pretty much what I make. So is it diff, is it different based on the participating whole life versus the other one? Listen, like, so I can make sometimes based on the product. I may make fifty five. There's I get a commission and then a gross up. So let's say a hundred dollar a month policy. I make 50% of that and then a bonus of 120 to 160% on that 50%, right? Which basically works out to, if you've been around long enough and do enough business, you can make slightly more than your annual premium. Um, so it's not that, it, it's only a higher commission product in the sense that when people think they are getting more than what they are getting, they're more likely to spend more money than they would otherwise. Okay. I have a meeting today with a couple, early 20s, they're renting in the area of my office, Keel and Finch, and they wanted whole life insurance specifically. And the reason why they wanted whole life insurance is because their parents told them to get whole life insurance. And I get this a lot from new clients, young clients. My parents want to get me whole life insurance. They wish they got more when they were younger. And what I've learned now is that it's not, the reason why your parents wish they have more whole life insurance is because they have deep insecurities with regards to how much money they're leaving you. And they regret not investing more. And they look at life insurance as an easy, would have been an easy way to give them more money. Therefore, they say to their kids, I wish I did this. I want you to do it. When in reality, you should be telling your kids, 
actually take 30% of what you make, forget about it, and put it into aggressive things, whether it's real estate, stocks, learn about investing. Because I don't know any wealthy person who tells me, shit, I should have got an extra million of whole life. No, like, you know big-time developers who probably have money that will outlive their children's children. They're not thinking, thankfully, I got that 500K policy 20 or 30 years ago, right? What are they telling their kids? They're telling their kids, do more real estate or do more stocks. They're teaching them about money. And at the end of the day, I believe a lot of the positioning behind permanent insurance from parents to their children comes from financial insecurity. These people were interested in spending $100 a month on a whole life policy that would have given them each 100 grand. They have a kid and they're renting. Meanwhile, I'm speaking to them today, they're probably gonna spend $25, $30 a month on a half a million dollars each, you know? Now, in 10 years, there's potentially another sale for them, for me here, but like that's the responsible product to sell and then take that $70 and save it. A lot of people say, well, buy term, invest a difference. And like, I guess that's true. A lot of advisors will position it that way because they want the individual to invest it with them. I personally, I, I don't deal with investing anymore. Um, you can't be everything to everybody. I want to focus on this and some other tech stuff that I'm working on. But at the end of the day, the idea should be to put your money in places that it's working for you. And the worst thing you should do is put your money in something that requires a massive spend because all that's doing is sucking resources from elsewhere. These are great products to have when you have passive income that's paying for them. So there are families that I'm working with that have real estate portfolios. They want that to transfer to their kids. There's gonna be massive taxes when they dispose of that asset. They don't want the kids to have to take out a line of credit. That's complicated. So what do they do? They buy a big joint last to die insurance policy. It takes it basically prepays the taxes, and now the kid can have. Now the kids have it. They're not working to pay those premiums. The assets are paying those premiums. They didn't become wealthy because of the policy. They became wealthy because of their smart investment decisions. And I think that's the other point you're trying to make is that some people are just putting so much money into some of these things, they can't get other assets in their name that could be working harder exactly. for them. Can, can they? Many times, yes. You know, I have an advisor I was arguing about this with, and he said, well, you know, most of the guys I deal with, they pitch this concept, but they don't actually sell it too much. It's just a way to get feet in the door. And I'm like, you know what? That's a good point. That's that's kind of bullshit. You know, I don't, you, there's not a lot of products we do that to. If you misrepresent, a, you can't say it's okay to misrepresent a product, but once they're sitting with me, now I'm going to be honest. You know, no one else does that. Nonetheless, I appreciated the honesty, but that still doesn't drive with me. And that's when I got the idea for doing this. Well, hold on a second. If you're attracting clientele by basically drinking the Kool-Aid. Maybe I'll attract clientele by not drinking the Kool-Aid. And, and that's really what this is for me. I, my goal of this, and I don't wanna like shit on insurance companies too much because we need them. Like these products are important. I've been around like long you said, enough. insurance serves a need. Yeah, totally needed, extremely important. If something happened to me tomorrow, my wife, my kids get $6 million. I have a few clients on disability who will never be able to work again. They're getting thousands a month till age 65. I've paid out critical illness claims. A, a girl, lady who works for my dad's dental office got sick. Uh, one and a quarter million in critical illness claims. Like insurance is important, but the idea is that it's the one in a thousand, the one in a million. It's gonna destroy your life if something happens and you need this protection. Let's stop confusing it with these grand investment schemes. Now, for the right person, 
when you have wealth, man, not only can it be an awesome thing to do, because if you have a lot of, if you've exhausted TFSAs, RSPs, you have a big stock portfolio, it's paying tax every year, you're making money, you're paying tax every year, you can put money in these products, it grows tax-free, and then you can leverage it, take the money out effectively tax-free through loans. Awesome thing to do. And advisors want to be around a long time, they want to surround themselves with wealthy people to position these products, because fuck, if this guy putting 200 grand a year into this, I'm not gonna make 200 grand a year because he's gonna overfund it to maximize the cash value. But if I can make 100 Gs on this and potentially do this more and more, that's an amazing livelihood for myself, right? Who wouldn't want to, to make 100 grand on every deal that they write? But at the end of the day, it's, it's for a very small subset of the population. And, and I think that's the key. Focus on insurance for the risk. Don't focus on this product or buy into it because you have some special vested interest in the interest. You're, you're not your own bank. You're not making what the bank does. That's horseshit. Put your money to work for you. There's a place for these products, but don't buy in to this idea that you're making what the banks make because you're just, you're just not, you know? Adam, thank you for this. If someone wants to reach you, what, uh, give it the website again. Um, is it going to be fortune or fiction? Fortune or fiction. Dot dot CA, yeah. And we'll verify that. We'll link it in the show notes yeah, of this episode. That. Um, so that if anyone wants to reach out to you, I think what you're doing is just building a lot of trust with people because you're kind of sharing pros and cons. And when I work with someone, when Nick work with someone, we love that. We tell, we sit down with everyone on every real estate deal we've ever done. We're like, tell us the worst case scenario. Like just tell us the worst case. And they think that we are asking that because we don't want to do a deal with them. We're like, no, like if we can stomach the okay. worst yeah. case, then we're in. Just the nice part the about this is like the worst case isn't that bad. As long as you are, at the end of the day, you still have the insurance. Like you can see zero dividends is on the left side of that table there. Like it's just going to be a million or two million dollar policy. It's probably not going to be that because there will be some dividends. So, and that's why it's, why it's appealing, you know, because there are guarantees and security. But you're you helping know? me build a bit of clarity on that other part. Which I appreciate. Yeah, no worries. You Thank know? you. Well, I, this was awesome. I really like, like yeah, the office. Yeah, you're gonna have like to come. You're you gonna guys. have to come back when people listen to this and come after you with all kinds of objections. See, that's why what you're kind wrong. Of, that's what kind of freaked me out here. Listen, there are guys in this industry who technically are just on. You know, they understand the nuance of this stuff. They understand the tax. They're math. So much math better. Math they're like, and they'll, they're going to work with people just in another stratosphere, and. I can't hold a candle to like what they know, but I know bullshit when I see it. And that's my, my goal with this. I, I want to, I want to increase my clientele. I want to sell more actual insurance. And I just want to, in the same way that people are attracting clientele to themselves by pitching this concept, I just want to kind of provide another opinion just because I don't think there's enough of it out there. You know, that's it. Appreciate you doing this. You didn't have to come here. We don't know each other. Thanks to Jesse Berger for making yeah, the introduction. And uh, yeah, this has been great. Adam, thank you, man. Thank Thanks. you. Appreciate it. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to that with Adam. So Adam Nyman and is the gentleman and the website that you can get his ebook on this called Fortune or Fiction, Why the Be Your Own Banker Concept is Flawed. Um, is let me get this right fortune or fiction.ca that's fortune or fiction.ca so if you want a copy of his book you can get it there and if you are listening to this and you're about to get started in the 
world of real estate investing, you can check out two of our favorite reports, either the destruction of the middle class, which talks about asset prices versus incomes in this country, or the population report and talks about some of the fundamentals, some of the best fundamentals we've seen in all of North America exist right here. And you can get that at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.